Haggai is, uh, is unique among the prophets. He's the shortest of the prophets. And yet in two short chapters, Haggai gets five messages in. I, I get a little irritated by that. Haggai says more in two chapters, five messages in two chapters, and I could say in, in, in half an hour. I, I'm a little disturbed by that. But we're going to look at these five messages because they were remarkable, not, not merely for, for the brevity of them. As I mentioned before, Haggai, more than any other prophet, the number of times compared to the number of chapters, reminds himself and his hearers that this is the word of the Lord. This is a message from God. Thus says the Lord. It's God's word that they're responding to. And Haggai emphasizes that at the front of his messages, at the end of his messages, in the middle of his messages. This is God's word that we're responding to. And yet, Haggai is unique as well as you hear the word and you see the people heard and you see how God stirred them up and it, you see the answer and you see the completion of it. All that happening together. Not all prophets had the joy of seeing the people respond. Oh, what a joy it's been. I was sharing with Daniel how what a joy it has been to, to see him hearing God's word and responding to it along the way in these last couple of years. That's, that's encouraged me. And when I, when I, there's, I can identify when John says, I have no greater joy than to, than to hear my children are walking in the truth. You parents can identify with that. And there's nothing... That, that thrills my heart more when I see God's people making a sacrificial decision. They give something of themselves for the sake of the gospel in the life of somebody else. Nothing thrills my heart more than that. Now, if, if Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, if Ezekiel, as I suggested last week, was the peculiar prophet, if if uh, Habakkuk was the honest-to-God prophet, he tells it, tells it to God like it really is, he prays openly and honestly, then Haggai would be the single-minded prophet. Haggai would be the one who says, this one thing we must do. This one thing matters more than all the other things that can so easily distract us. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 3 where Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3. Haggai is that single-minded prophet. Well, what is it that this single-minded prophet has to say? He Basically, in a nutshell, he says it's time to build. And we can identify that when Clark, Clark County is sort of a construction-oriented and that's because there's people that move here, whether they work here, whether they work across the river, then uh, still there's been a lot of construction here over the last couple of decades. It, it collapsed at a, at a certain time. There were people that were all ready to go right around us. There were developments that were ready. There was, there was money that had been paid and permits that had been gained and plans that were laid, and all of a sudden, all the building kind of just fell apart. And it seemed like it wasn't a time to build anymore. It's, it's tricky to know, well, when's the time to build and when's the time to withdraw? When's the time to sit back? When's the time to go, safeguard your position rather than to step forward and to build? Well, we face that in Clark County construction. We face that in building God's church and building into the lives of another believer. Giving myself for the sake of others. Can I really do that right now? Do I have margin for that right now? Or is this a time to withdraw a little bit and just safeguard? You know, sit and watch what's going on. And maybe there'll be a better time some other time when I could participate in the building. Paul tells the Corinthian church that, that he says, I laid a foundation, that is the gospel, and others are building upon it. 
Let each one be careful how he builds, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because don't you know this is the temple? Not only are individual believers temples of the Spirit, but the church is God's temple. So then, when Haggai is talking about people, it's time to build, build this temple. It's time to rebuild what God has told us to do. Time to step into it. Then, then uh, there's some parallels there for us if we have been called by God to build up as each local church, to build up all the churches together then into one glorious temple that has been built up that brings glory to God and shows and proclaims Jesus Christ to the world around about us. That not only am I, as an individual believer, indwelled by the Spirit, a temple of the living God, but a local church is. 1 Corinthians 3, a local church is a temple, and so we need to take heed how we build on that foundation. Now, there's, there's four main messages. Actually, there's, there's five, but, but one of them is kind of a second message on the same day, just a follow-up, a personal follow-up, so I'll combine those together. But there's four messages, and they, they come, to a, come to a people distracted, a people devoted, a people disappointed, and a people maybe disqualified. So I'm going to get to those, each, each one. But the first one, first of all, a people distracted. And to a people distracted, God says very clearly, consider your ways. God says to them, what are you doing? What are you doing? And what are you doing involves actually what you're not doing as well as what you are doing. Distraction implies I'm not doing this because I'm engaged in this, something else. Maybe anything else. Let's read the first, the first message of Haggai. Verse, first 11 verses of Haggai. You can tell I can't figure out, is this Haggai or Haggai? I've heard it both ways in my life, and I just can't land. Haggai, we're, I, I'm, I'm going to be starting in, in uh, page 791, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. I want you to follow along. This is nice, a short book. We can just work through the passage, um, one message at a time. So Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1, page 791. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. Now, this is the different Darius than the Darius who took over um, that Daniel works with in Daniel chapter 6. This is 520 B.C. This is 16 years after they have returned from Babylon. Remember I told, you they, or I told the kids, they started building the temple, and then some opposition came along. There was some opposition by other people around them that didn't want that to continue. There were some difficulties, there was some discouragement, and they, the building fell off. So, 16 years have gone by. On the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for, your, for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Does it feel like that sometimes? The harder I try, the less I have. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills, bring wood, build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You've looked for much and behold, it came to little and when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Does this get a little convicting? 
Therefore, the heavens above have withheld the dew, the earth has withheld its produce, God's blessing has been withheld. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain, the new wine, the oil on the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all of their labors. There's a lack of fruitfulness in the land among the people because they have not given themselves to building God's house that they were sent there to do. What are you doing? They said, well, this, it's not time to build. It's not the right time. It's not the same circumstances. You know, there's, there's opposition right now. We should wait till it's, you know, things die down a little bit. And it's not going to be so awkward. We're not going to be running into trouble with the people that are opposing us. There are political uncertainties right now. Let's just wait till the dust settles a little bit. Um, Actually, the, the prince, the Davidic prince, the guy in the Lion of David that came back as the leader of this expedition, he died apparently shortly after they arrived back at Jerusalem. And so there's a little uncertainty as to who's in charge here. So each person kind of goes their own way. There's the, who could designate a new prince? Who could designate a new ruler? I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm just going to stick to my own stuff. I've got things to do. In fact, when Nehemiah came years later, this, this same problem kind of continues. Nehemiah came years later. He found hardly anybody living in Jerusalem. Everybody was out in the villages surrounding, looking after their own farm, looking after their own house. It's time to build your own houses, Haggai says. What about my house? You live in paneled houses while my house lies in ruins, lies desolate. There's, a, there's a, a confused priority. If they are scattered about, each tending to your own affairs, what do we care? But this is what the people in the land are thinking. You know? they, they discourage them from banding together and building in Jerusalem. We'll get that today. Hey, you just you know, worry about your own stuff, take care of your own life, keep your head down, no big deal. Band together, get on God's agenda, seek to move God's purposes forward in the midst of this culture or any culture on the planet, and that's going to attract opposition. That's going to attract a reaction. That's where they were at, and their response was to duck down. It's not time to build. We'll wait for the Lord's coming. We'll wait for his Christ. Then we'll know there's the time, and then we'll build. But first, you know, we've got to get our own houses in order. I've got to fix it up a little bit. You know, I just, I just, I just need to finish this addition. I need to get some paneling up. Well, nobody really puts paneling up anymore, but they did. I, I want to get some new cupboards and some nice granite countertops uh, put into the kitchen. You know, the missus is really going to love that. I've got other stuff to do, but will God like that? God says, do what I have gathered you to do. It's not about what I want to do. It's not about my own agenda. It's about what is building God's temple about. How do I give myself to God's greatest work on this planet, which is his work of building his temple? What's God's temple for? What's it about? Look at verse 8. Verse 8 again. Go up to the hills, bring wood, build the house. Why? What's the purpose? So that I may take pleasure in it, the Lord says, and that I may be glorified. The building of God's house, the building of God's temple is for God's pleasure and for God's glory. And you know what? When you love the Lord, when you're walking with him, this, this beautiful thing happens, what I call a fusion of purpose, a joining together of purpose. A, my purpose is joined together with God's purpose. You know the psalm that you claim, Psalm 37, I think it is, trust in the... Um, 
Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And you're thinking, boy, I got a lot of desires. I got a wish, wish list. I, got, I know what I'm wanting. So I'm going to delight myself in the Lord, and God's going to give me my list. That's quite a promise. Well, actually, it's a little different than that. You delight yourself in the Lord, and where is your delight? In the Lord. What is it that you desire? The Lord and what he desires. You have this fusion of purpose so that his desire is your desire. His delight is your delight for his pleasure and for his glory. It's an amazing thing. You and I have the power. You and I are able to bring God pleasure. Like a child can bring their parents pleasure, you and I can bring God pleasure. Like a child, when he follows in the heart of his mom or dad, just because I love my mom, I love my dad, I want to do what makes them happy. Oh, that just thrills our heart when it's like that rather than just an obligation or duty or because they'll get in trouble if they don't, right? I want to please my mom or dad. Wow, that warms our heart. You and I have the ability ourselves to bring the God of the universe pleasure. You and I have the ability within this humble temple. I don't mean the building. It's humble enough, but I mean this. Within this humble temple, you and I have the ability to build together into the lives of one another and others who would come here and bring God's glory in the work that he does among us. We, we were made in God's image for God's purpose and for God's pleasure. We'll never be truly fulfilled if we don't look for that fulfillment in God's purposes, in God's pleasure. Augustine said there's there's a God-sized hole in the heart of man, and we will not find any rest or peace until we find it in thee. We look in so many other places. You see, people are are stuck there in mediocreville and in In verse 9, did you see that? They looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. You found I got got holes in the pocket or something because I thought there was something in there, but it's not, you know? It's like Isaiah's words are still bouncing around inside their head. Isaiah's words in, in, in chapter 55, Why do you spend money on that which is not food? Why, Why do you labor for that which cannot satisfy They haven't learned anything in 70 years or 200 years since Isaiah spoke those words. It's not just about being in God's work. It's about being in God's work with God. There's pleasure there. God is about his work. As Paul said, we are, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we are workers together with God. Imagine it. We're not just like God's got a list of stuff that he wants us to tick off and accomplish. God is in this thing. That's what he tells the people. That's what he tells the people. He says, uh, when they, they hear his word, consider your ways. What are you doing? What should we be doing? There's stuff to do. In the bulletin, there's stuff to do. There's things you could be involved in. There's ways that you could give your life for the sake of others. If you're not sure, how do I do that in the midst of the world? Take the first smaller step, which would be to start in something right, right here in our midst. What are you doing? What are you doing? We're well, doing lots of stuff, but what are you doing that is building God's temple? You know, even, even in the spiritual realm, I could, I could be content doing that which is good for me. 
And yet what are they supposed to be doing? Not their own houses. Own houses are good. That's important. That's, that's fine. But he says, what are you doing? You're supposed to be building together my temple. I don't, I don't want... It's, it's, it's often been said that 80% of the work in a, in a, in a church or in probably any, any organization is done by 20% of the people. You say, I work there. You can identify with that. You're saying, yeah, yeah, that's true where I work too. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And, and the last thing I want is to pile on an obligation to those that are already, I know what my ministry is, but some of you don't know. You say, well, if I asked you, what are you doing in terms of building the temple? You say, well, well I'm not sure. We would love to talk with you about that. Not because we've got stuff to do, but because God's got stuff to do in you. And he does it as we are building together with him. And when the people, when the word of the Lord came and the people heard, they responded to that. They responded to that. And they begin to build. Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. The word came and they heard. And look what happens from that. As the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month in the sixth month. So we were at the first day of the month, and now we're at the 24th day of the month. They have stewed on this. They have reflected on this, and they said, we are going to give ourselves to it. The word came. They heard the word, and then as they took the first step into it, what happens then? God stirred them up. But it wasn't, I'm going to sit over here until God moves me. You know, it's been said it's a whole lot easier to steer a ship that's moving so it's not easier to guide that and say, you take that first step. I'm not sure if that's what I'm supposed to be doing, but you take that first step into how could I give myself away, and then God might direct you a little bit this way or a little bit that way, but it's a whole lot easier to, 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 to steer a vessel that's already moving than one that is stationary. So if, you're, if your philosophy on ministry is going to be, well, I'm going to sit here until God moves me, he might not stir until you have heard. Once you have heard, then God stirred. Then God stirred them into. You know, it's, 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 it's time. It's time, in a sense, I could summarize this to step up. I kind of missed this when I, by the time I was, I was doing the notes for the bulletin. And I, I focused on don't work alone, absolutely. Because God says, I am with you. We are not on our own with this. And you could parallel that, stretch that out a little bit. And, and they were working together. It wasn't a solo project. You're not on your own in this. You're working together. One of the best ways to get connected in a church is to work with others in the midst of labor. Labor together. Man, it's good to get to know one another. And, and, and relationships deepen there in the midst of the work that God has given us to do. So there's something about working together. But, but they step up and God calls them up. They stepped up, first of all, into this work that God has set before them. And there God calls them up even higher. God stirs them up all the more. But it took a step. It took a response. What are you doing? And to put it very bluntly, step up. Step into God's work. Take that next step. You know, that, that's like, you know, the, there, there, there's, there are things to do. There are family chores 
in a family that you, that you do. But sometimes in the midst of doing them together, just the drudgery of the work can be a lot more. But in the midst of chores as a family, God has given this to us, for us to do together. You know, that, that stepping up and, and in stepping up and into what God has set before me, there I walk with him in his presence. It actually works in your work in the midst of the week as well. In your work in the midst of the world. It works in your other work. It's a, it's a game changer when I see my job as a place where God has set me in his presence among the pagans. You know, you, the, you look at where you're working and you say, man, the, the pastor w- would never be caught dead around here. But God has placed me here. God has placed me here. I am his ambassador in this place. I represent the king of glory. And his presence is with me in the midst of this corner where he has given me a work to do. I am God's divine advan- ad- ambassador, even, even if it's in a wretched place. Concerning work, it's sometimes been said that it's hard to soar as wings as eagles if you're hanging with the turkeys. But maybe you should consider that God gave you these turkeys. God set you in this place. God actually loves those turkeys. One of the ways we build the temple is by adding more stones. So if they seem like a box of rocks, well, that's not surprising. It's okay. We'll work with that. God will work with that. He worked with you. He worked with me. And he will take that box of rocks and he will build his temple. And you've been sent out there to gather them. Isn't that exciting? That's a whole new perspective on what it is that I do at work in the world. We also build the temple by working, from, working with God from within. How could I start? How could I step up? Let me turn your attention back to the bulletin again. This is where you can actually read the bulletin in the sermon and get away with it. There's a, there's a section in the bulletin that says, says that need a place to serve. And, there, and there's some opportunities, particularly in our children's ministry. One of the things I would like to start is after the kids' message, I would like us to have a children's teaching time that would also free the moms or, or, or the dads to, to be able to tune in without being worried about what you're thinking about their wee wiggling ones. And, and they could listen without distraction as well. And uh, yet that, that takes somebody who's going who's to join a team of rotating and say, I'm willing to miss one sermon out of four or one sermon out of six. And some of you are saying, yes, sign me up. I, I, I'm, I, I'm hearing that. I'm willing to give something up that I could, with these kids at their level, use a curriculum with them during that time, but they're going to take something else home with them and their, their mom or their dad or their parents are going to be able to tune in more fully knowing that the kids are being taken care of as well. First John says, if you love God, then love your brother. Well, if that's true, then doesn't it make sense that if you love the one who said, let the little children come unto me, that you would love him by being there for them to come to. God is building his... You say, I don't want to sit with a bunch of runny-nosed little kids. The nursery or preschool or, 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 or uh, older kids in a, in a teaching time? Well, you know, you may be thinking, well, one of the reasons I don't want to do that is, well, I did that with my kids. You know, I took my turn and, well, with some of your kids. You know, some of these kids are a lot nicer than some of your kids. I just want to say that. You might find it a whole lot more pleasant than yours were. Just, it's worth trying. 
I could do this. I could do this for the sake of these kids. I could do this for the sake of those parents. I could do this because that would be a ministry that would build up this church as a whole as God's temple that it's supposed to be. You know, one of the things about serving, I don't want to paint too rosy of a picture. One of the things about serving is it can be discouraging, can it? That was true here. That was true. Look at chapter 2. Verse 1, it can be dis- discouraging. You could say, well, I thought I'd see this, and it didn't turn out like that. I thought I'd see smashing results, and it was a little different than I expected. I somehow imagined it going a little differently in my head. In the midst of the building, they became disappointed. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak not as Rubbable, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, just in case we forgot who Zerubbabel and Joshua were. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Who is left among you that remembers the old temple before Babylon? Well, some of the oldest among them still remembered. You saw this house in its former glory. How do you see it now? Is it, isn't it as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came up out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations come and I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. You get it that this is coming from God himself? And he's saying you ain't seen nothing yet. Don't be discouraged. He he asked the question, consider your ways. What are you doing? It's time to step up. And as you do, look farther ahead. Don't be discouraged by what you see now. We are working not for today. We are working for long into the future. Those who started this church 150 years ago, handful of families gathered in a log cabin, and they said, we don't have a church here, we need to start one. In fact, they purposely moved. I know the Clarks did that. They learned it from their father. Their father, back in, uh, I think it was Illinois, did the same thing. They moved from one place to another to a new town that didn't have a church so that they could plant one there about every seven years. So when they came out on the Oregon Trail, they did that in Oregon. Once they had a church there, about seven years or so, I forget the exact number, then they moved across here and said, there's no church over there, let's go there, and we'll start a church. And they planted this church. 150 years ago, they didn't know you were going to be here. They didn't know any of us were going to be here. They didn't know that God was going to be continuing this same work of that same church 150 years later. And the generations that would come through and be impacted by the word of God from this place. You and I are working for much farther ahead. We are working for God's glory into eternity that he is in the midst of. And God says, you don't see the glory yet at this temple. But the glory of this temple is not the gold and the silver that you remember from Solomon's. It's not all that grandeur and fanciness and the chandeliers that are hanging. See, look at our, I never really liked those chandeliers anyway. That isn't it. That isn't the glory. 
The glory is God's glory. He said, once more, the day is coming, folks. You don't see it yet. And while you feel like a a, a tiny remnant surrounded by enemies in the midst of a broken down Jerusalem, you don't see it. In the midst of a society that used to be much more founded on faith than it seems to be today, can the church even be still relevant, people are asking. Oh, the church is relevant for eternity, not simply this decade. It is for much farther and much longer than that, much bigger than that. This is God's central work to manifest his Son to all of the earth and creation and heaven. That's going on. Oh, he said the glory of that temple. And you know what he meant by that? Jesus himself was going to show up at the, at the um, foundational structures. Herod had built on even more by then, expanded it further. But that same temple that they started then, in Haggai's day, Jesus himself was going to show up. Oh, a far greater, temp- far greater glory than ever walked into Solomon's temple would visit this one. And yet he's looking ahead even further into the future when, the, when Christ would return. Oh, yeah, I'm going to shake the heavens. And the temple in Jerusalem is going to be filled with a greater glory than you could ever imagine. Once more will I shake the heavens and the earth in a little while it's coming. It may seem that it doesn't amount to much. And those who had remembered an earlier day when things were better, if you're older, don't raise your hand, but do you sometimes get discouraged about what you see today? It just seems like God just not working the way you remembered him working in the past. And you get discouraged by that. Be careful. Be careful. Those thoughts are worth hearing but not listening to. Really, God is not working today? Really? God is not working in the life of a young man transformed in ways that are a blessing to him, to his family, to all of us. God is not working. Oh, he is. He is. And how many more ways that you don't see? Our God is at work for far longer, far longer into the future. Look farther ahead and you will be less discouraged. And finally, finally, But what about me? It's a good work. It's a grand work. It's a future work. It's long enduring. It'll last when everything else is crumbled. But can I really participate in that? Who am I? You say, well, that's a good work. Somebody should do it. People that are qualified. People that are suited to it. People that are fit for it. And I'm not. I don't know what it is that rattles around in your head. What the, what the script is telling you inside there that keeps running and tells you what a miserable wretch you really are and, and don't you get into ministry? Don't you get into a place where God's doing something because you'll ruin it, you'll spoil it because you are unclean and you would pollute the thing. You would destroy it just by your presence because you are not worthy. Do you ever hear things like that? God's doing something there. I better stay away because I'm not worthy. I'll mess it up. What could I do? What could I offer? Look at verse 10. The 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius. There's a little bit of catechism here, a little bit of question and answer, a little bit of, a re, little bit of review of theology, review of the Old Testament law, because he's got a point to make. Things have changed. 24th day of the ninth month, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. So it's ninth month now. A few more months have gone by. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. Let me ask you a question. 
If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, well, no. I've got something holy here in my, the fold of my garment. I'm carrying, this, I'm carrying this sacrificial meat. Now, why I would carry it in my sweater, I'm not sure. Well, let's just say that I am. It's going to make a mess, but here it is. And if I bump into something else, well, does that make, because this was holy. Does that holiness transfer and clean up these other things? Well, no, not under the law. No, in fact, in fact, let's take it further, he says. If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body, let's just say, you know, my dad died and, and I, we were involved in burying him and so forth, so I'm now ceremonially unclean for a certain period of time. That's the law. Death is an unclean thing. If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? You can't trans- if you were clean, you couldn't transfer your holiness onto this work. But if you are unclean, according to the law, yes, you can taint anything that is holy. You say, well, that's me. I'm unclean. I can't get involved. I can't step up because if I do, I will taint it. I will add my uncleanness, my hidden sinfulness, the pastor you just don't know about. I will add that sinfulness into that thing. I'll ruin it. He says, well, 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 wait a minute here. Someone who is unclean by contact touches the priest's answer and said, it does become unclean. That's absolutely right. Heggy answered and said, so it is with the people, with this nation before me, so with every work of their hands. What they offer there is unclean. Oh no, the temple's ruined, he says. No. Now then, consider, verse 15, from this day forward. Before the stone was placed upon the stone in the temple, how did you fare? It didn't go well. We read about that. When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there wasn't but 10. When one came to a wine vat, there wasn't any wine. I struck you all with the products of your toil with blight and mildew and hail, yet you did not turn to me. Consider your way. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day of the foundation of the temple. You see yet in the barn? You don't see the, you don't see the outcome yet. But he says, from this day I will bless you. It's not because of you. It's not about you. I want you to roll ahead in your minds to the Gospels. Jesus did something different. Jesus did something revolutionary. There was a leper. What did Jesus do? He touched him. Oh, no. Now, lepers were were separate. They were away. And, And a leper would have to walk through the village calling out, unclean, unclean, so that everybody else could part ways and let him through so that nobody would accidentally touch him because even if you accidentally touched a leper, his uncleanness would make you unclean and you could not then go to the temple. Okay? Jesus touched lepers. Did the leper make him unclean? No, contrary. There's a game changer going on here. Jesus made the leper clean by touching him. Remember when the woman just touched the hem of his garment? Power goes out from her. She was ceremonially unclean. And yet she touches Jesus. Did she defile Jesus? Did she make him unclean? No, that touch, that point of contact, power went from him and cleansed her. I'm not saying this if you join then into temple building. 
If you step up to serve, that that's going to make you clean. What I'm saying is this. We live in the new covenant under the gospel where Jesus himself has made us clean. Yes, you were disqualified. Yes, I was disqualified. But Christ has changed that. Christ has made us clean. It's not about my cleanliness. It's not about my worthiness. It's about his transferred to me. So that I then serve not by my Worthiness, I serve by his grace, which has cleansed me. Do you see it? Serve God by Christ's grace, not my own worthiness, not my own willingness. He takes that a step further, unpacks it with Zerubbabel. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai, the 24th day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel. Second time, same day, that's why I lumped this together into one message. It's really a second one. It's a private audience, if you will, or, or it's just... Everybody heard, but it's for an individual. That's true corporately that we serve. We do not spoil the work by being in the midst of it. God has cleansed us in Christ. Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and overthrow the thrones of the kingdom. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdom of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and the riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. Now, who is Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel is apparently the cousin of the prince of Judah who came with the initial crowd coming back from Babylon to rebuild the temple. I told you that that older prince, he dies. There's not a Davidic heir now to be the apparent ruler. Apparently, uh, Shealtiel, or, or, rather, or rather Zerubbabel now, becomes the new governor But is he really a prince? Can he be a Davidic heir? Is there a descendant of David here while we're building this new temple? And dare we appoint one? Could there be a Davidic son of David? Because in the book of Jeremiah, about chapter 22, the previous king, Jeconiah, was disqualified. And God says, because you have rejected me and you rejected my word, I am rejecting you as a signet ring. I am rejecting you as a Davidic ruler. Nobody, no, you're not going to have any sons who are going to follow you on the throne. I am rejecting you as the Davidic, as the, as the heir of David. Well, Zerubbabel is a later, non-direct, but a later descendant of Jeconiah. Has he been disqualified? Has his whole family been disqualified? Have you and I been disqualified? It gets individual. And the Lord uses the same language again. I will make you a signet ring. Based on God's calling and God's working, you can rise up and build. The Lord says, you disqualified? Yes, you were. But I will take you. I will make you because I have chosen you. So then if that's true, if he has chosen me in Christ... Then, consider your ways. What am I doing? What am I doing? What could I be doing? What should I be doing that matters most? Well, how would I do that? I would do that by the Lord's grace, the Lord's presence, Him with me. So then, it's time to step up. It's time to step up, not just in terms of getting active. It's time to step up to a higher plane, not serving by me, but serving by Him. Looking farther ahead, not being discouraged by what I don't yet see, because it will be realized. God will finish what he started. 
And I'll serve God by Christ's grace. I was disqualified, but he has made me clean. He has taken me. He is making me. He has chosen me. So it's time to jump in. It's time to get in his work. I, I, I mentioned those white cards earlier, and I want you to use those again. We're going to receive the offering in just a moment. And when we receive the offering, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. We give of our, our wealth. We give out of that which we have received, realizing that all things come from God's hand. We, as stewards, give a portion of that back to God for his work. Absolutely. But how about we give of ourselves? How about I give me? I want you if, you, if you know, this is my ministry. I ask you, what are you doing? You say, this is where God has set me. This is the ministry God has given me. It would be a great encouragement to me if you wrote that down on that card. If you said, I'm not sure. I'd love to, we, we, we would love to pray with you and help you. Find what is it that I could do. If you're saying, God's talking to my heart about helping here. We would love then, put that on the white card, we would love to help you make that next step, that con- to, to step up and step into this calling God has given you. So I want us to use these white cards in the midst of our offering this morning. Use them for that way. We will not give merely of what we have, we will give ourselves. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Lord, thank you that, that uh, you have not left us, Lord, to our own devices. You have not left us to our own distractions, but you have set before us a greater thing. You have set before us your pleasure and your purpose that we can join in. Lord, that we might find our pleasure, that we might find our purpose in you. Lord, uh, my prayer right now, Lord, would be that each one among us, Lord, that stirred by your spirit, if we have heard your word, that being stirred by your spirit, you would give us courage, Lord, to take that next step, whatever it is. Lord, trusting that you will lead us, trusting that you will take us, make us, because you've chosen us, Lord, that you would give us courage to take that next step now. That these cards, what we write on them, would not simply be, hey, there's a need, there's a job to do, but it would be, I give myself to the Lord in this way. Oh, Lord, do that among us. Lord, do that for your pleasure and for your purposes. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all who agree said, amen. 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 We serve by God's grace. We look ahead. We will not be discouraged, for he is the faithful one. He is strong forever, forever. He is with us. Amen.